In this episode, we'll talk to Terry Alessi Maselli, President and CEO of the Hopog Industrial Association of Long Island, about how companies come together to solve broad social and economic problems. And we'll discuss her perspective on gender inequality and the challenges women face for equal pay and finding opportunities to achieve business leadership positions. To put the association's size and scope in perspective, the organization has for over 40 years provided a forum for business leaders to network, problem solve, and obtain advice on critical business issues. Its member companies are centered in and around the Hopog Industrial Park, one of the largest industrial parks in the United States. The area has over 1,350 companies in a wide range of industries, employing 55,000 people and generating combined revenues of over $13 billion. Before assuming the HIA-LI leadership role in 2004, Terry served as Managing Director of Dale Carnegie Training, a preeminent corporate education organization. She was twice honored as one of the Long Island Business News' Top 50 Women Professionals, earning her a spot in their Hall of Fame, as well as a recipient of their Top CEO Award. She's been included in the Long Island Press list of top power women and has been featured in Newsday, Networking Magazine, and appeared on News 12's job line as an organizational change and motivation expert. Terry, welcome to our podcast series. Oh, thanks so much, John. Happy to be here. Great. Happy that you can join us. In looking at your background, you've been at the helm of the Hopog Industrial Association, the HIALI, since 2004. And while I've already told our listeners a little bit about your background, I'd like to hear about your journey and how you got to the HIA and then what you've been doing for the last 16 odd years. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And let me also say thank you, New York Tech, for this opportunity. It's always great to speak to not only a group of students, but people who have an entrepreneurial spirit. So, again, I really appreciate it. So I started out, I was with Dale Carnegie Training for 18 years. I started in sales and then worked my way up to managing director. And I was very, very involved as a customer, as a client, as a member in the Hop Hog Industrial Association, now called the HIALI. And I really was very involved in their networking. I was involved in giving presentations and sought a seat on the board. So I was on the board of directors for the HIALI for about six years, along with you, by the way, John Rebecca. I know you were a board member many years ago as well. Mm -hmm. One of our original founders, Jack Kolka, who I had known for years, came to me and said, we're looking for someone with a background in strategic planning. The current person was retiring and... They really wanted to take the organization to a next level. And that really was what my background was about at Dale Carnegie Training, is I went into our franchisee owners and I helped them really develop a strategy to help their businesses grow. So it just was a perfect match. And as we spoke about it, not only did I believe strongly in the HIALI and what it did for us and my team at Dale Carnegie Training, but I really saw an opportunity for the future, again, to take the organization and help it grow. My role, I see my role as twofold. One is obviously insight into what we're doing, how we're doing, but I think more importantly, the ability to be able to really create some innovative channels and look at what do we need to be doing differently to really help the business community out. So I'm really excited about it. I mean, particularly now, believe it or not, going through COVID, I think we have to be more innovative than ever, ever before. So we're there for our businesses. You know, I see the business associations being more, it's got to be a collaborative effort. You know, one of the things that many business leaders confuse is that business is a zero-sum game where for you to win, someone else has to lose. And yet 
associations sort of bring people together for collective efforts so that everybody gains. It's funny that you say that because that was one of the things I think even many years ago that attracted me so much to the HIALI is I believe our organization has always had a real collaborative spirit. And again, more important now than ever through the pandemic we're going through, I'll give you Mm. two specific examples of how a collaborative effort with other business organizations truly made the difference. Number one is when the first stimulus package came out through COVID, it excluded business organizations or trade organizations, obviously HIALI being one of them. And we immediately got on the phone with other groups like the Long Island Business Institute, like the Long Island Contractors Association, like the Long Island Association, the LIA. And we spoke to them about the ability to be able to really get some funding for our organizations for a few different reasons, John. Number one is we see business organizations as extremely nurturing. Number one, you know, they're all over the country and these types of organizations like ours, they promote job growth, they provide education, professional development for the workforce. So a lot of the things that are needed, not only before the pandemic, but will be needed for a very vibrant economy after the pandemic. So we got together with those organizations. We went to our local politicians and we said to them, we need to fight for this. So we were ultimately were able to get in this round right now, 501c6 organizations are included. That is a major win that would have never, never happened probably without that collaboration. Another example of that is We do a lot of work, and I know we'll talk more about it, in the Long Island Innovation Park at Hop Hog, which Mm -hmm. is formerly the Hop Hog Industrial Park. We fought to create an overlay district to get housing in the park because we know that young professionals want a place to live, to work, to play. And when we did that, we went out knowing we'd get some opposition, which is natural, from the school district, some of the people in the surrounding areas. We went out to other business organizations and said, we need your help with this. Right. So when we went to the public hearing, they all got involved with us. So my point is we collaborate a lot on everything ultimately that we do. Let's give people a sense of the size and scale, though. And when we talk about an industrial association, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that it's the second largest park in the United States. And I think there's something like 55,000 people employed there. Yeah, I mean, it is the second largest only behind Silicon Valley. 55,000 employees, as you said, 1,300 companies, the most outstanding statistic that we found about the park that we never knew before is it has an economic output of $14 billion. Wow. So it's a real economic driver. It has a lot of what are called tradable industries in it. And what that means is they're industries that seek goods and bring money in from outside of Long Island to really help Long Island out and help our local economy out. So it has 58% of the industries are tradable. So it's been deemed as a real hub for economic development for Long Island. And we only found that out, by the way, because we embarked on a project, which is called a sustainability study Mm -hmm. with the Suffolk County Industrial Development Agency and the Regional Planning Association. It also led us to really look at creating an overlay district and asking the town of Smithtown to do that. Because, again, it said we need to encourage young professionals to really work in this jewel that the park has become. 
it's great work that you folks are doing, especially for the number of college graduates that come out of schools on Long Island and they don't stay because they see opportunity elsewhere, which they don't recognize here at home. So I think you guys are doing a lot of great work in terms of keeping people here. We're educating them. We want them to stay and then obviously help the local communities prosper. So the other thing we're doing in the park that I think relates really well to that is we're encouraging and really getting some other groups together like the Long Island Regional Planning Council to develop a workforce training center right in the park because of what you said. Because we see so many kids leaving Long Island and that max, you know, that brain drain that we talk about. Sure. Number one, because they don't have an affordable place to live. But number two, because they really don't understand the opportunities. And we're looking at putting in the park, as I said, a workforce training center so they can really go above and beyond the way they've been trained and automatically, or at least more automatically, get jobs right there in the park. Sure. Now, Terry, one of the things that I recognize, especially in your background, I mean, you've been included in the list of top 50 women professionals on Long Island twice now. I believe you're in uh, their Hall of Fame, gotten many, many designations. Mm -hmm. And and one of the issues that we really need to focus on as a society is pay inequality and social inequality and the lack of women in C-suite positions. I mean, some recent surveys, I think it was as of 2020, the Fortune 500 list included 37 women as CEOs, and yet women make up 50% of the workforce and fulfill over 50% of management positions. So there's a big discrepancy in terms of women moving up the ladder into C-suite positions. What are you seeing or are you currently working on to help women advance to those positions? Several years ago, women were getting paid 17 cents on the dollar, right, Mm -hmm. compared to men. That gap, the good news is that gap is narrowed. The bad news is it's still not equal, as you said, and it's not equal on several different fronts. I will tell you just personally, John, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been very lucky through the years because the mentors I've had, and they happen to all have been male, by the way, oddly enough. So mm-hmm. none of them ever said to me, you got to be the best female. All of them said, you need to practice the profession of business. And don't worry if you walk into a boardroom, whether you're a male or a female. So practice the profession of understanding profit and loss statements and understanding revenue streams if you want to run a business, which I did. Right. That's the first thing. I think it's really important for us to get to equality to really understand that mentoring, we have to give back. I'm in the years where I give back to young female adults, but we have a long way to go, long, long way to go. So what we're doing here at the HIALI in 2010, Senator Kirsten Gildebrand brought together a woman's forum for equality and I participated in it and she threw down a challenge and she said to all of us women business leaders in the room, she said, you need to keep this going. You need to keep this discussion going and you need to spread the word because that is the key to really equality with women and women in management roles is awareness to consistently keep it in the forefront. And we have done that at the HILI. So we're in our 11th year now of a women's conference. It has grown to at least Pre-COVID, it had at least 400 women in a room where we're talking about mentorship. We're talking about equality. We're talking about life balance, which is very difficult traditionally for women that are also mothers. So we're talking about those things. But awareness, I think, really is the key, John. It Mm. really, really is. 
You know, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is that the work-life balance of working from home, of having and sharing in raising the kids and doing all those things that were historically, from a male point of view, was the role of the woman. And nowadays, when men have to work from home, boy, has this changed, has this come to light that there can be a balance between the two. And maybe one of the things that's coming out of the pandemic is that, well, hold on for a moment. We can be productive working from home. We can share in those roles and we can do things differently. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, by the way, I think there's several learning opportunities that have come from this pandemic, but certainly that has been a big one. And, you know, we call it, we laugh about it, but we call it blending, right? It's not really balanced. We don't know if we can balance it all, but we blend it all. And now those male roles have absolutely stepped up to the plate. And, you know, they're going to doctor's appointments with kids and they're doing things that they never did before. I mean, years ago, it was absolutely unheard of, genuinely unheard of. Sure for my father to change diapers, right? Right. You laugh about it, but, you know, it's such a different phenomenon now. So, you know, I think the other thing that's important to remember in that, John, is as we come out of this pandemic and people really look at their lives and many of them are changing jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, many of them are starting their own companies. So they're looking at opportunities for themselves that women really are a moving force to be reckoned with in terms of hiring, right? So I think we have to remember that as well. And if you look at women in general, without sounding really biased, I mean, you know, because we tend to have a nurturing ability, that's just a great leadership skill, right? Our ability to be able to listen, our ability to be able to coach. So people need to really see that as an opportunity. That's a good hire, somebody who can do that. Absolutely. One of the mistakes was that we always looked at men having self-confidence, but what we looked at as self-confidence oftentimes was arrogance. And they're not engaging. They're not that thoughtful listening that is so important that a leader take that role on. You know, the other thing that's come out of this is that the face of frontline workers and first responders, it was always seemed to be a male-dominated image, but now we see the number of women in critical positions throughout our society. Beyond that, though, as you, you mentioned about having women in the workforce, I want people to understand that women represent 50% of the workforce. And they're, they're oftentimes, in, maybe not in those critical leadership positions, but they're throughout our society, and we need to move them and advance them in a way that gives them their proportional share of, and I'll call it the power seats in our society. Right. You know, I've seen that firsthand. I've seen so many more prominent women's groups, mm-hmm. by the way, come out of this, helping to support that cause, locally, I mean. And again, understanding that in order for that woman to be in that power seat, just like, you know, years ago, they used to call it the good old boys network. There needs to be more women backing women and men backing women. Right. And really understanding that that's a really important thing to do. So, again, I go back to the two things of awareness and certainly mentoring is critical. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that's come out, especially from the pandemic, but it's actually been a trend over the last, oh, I would say the last eight to 10 years, has been the number of women entrepreneurs and the number of women business owners in our society. And a lot of the surveys that I saw was that it's about access to capital that seems to be hampering women entrepreneurs beyond just 
the traditional storefront operations, small businesses, but their ability to break into technology and get the same recognition as men do, especially in technology industries. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's funny that you say that because when Senator Gildebrand ran this women's forum for equality, that was a big, and again, remember that was 2010, but that was a very, very big discussion which is the access or lack of access for women to capital, primarily because when you then had walked into a bank, you know, one of the first questions they would ask is, what type of collateral do you have? Most women, the house was not in their name. They really didn't have a lot in their name. They might never work before. And I remember years ago, Mrs. Fields Cookies, I remember her telling a story. I had seen her Mm -hmm. at a conference, and that was the story she told, John. The story she told was that, She walked into a bank. They asked her, okay, what backing does she have? She had none. She hadn't owned anything. She had nothing in her name, but they took a chance on her. So I I think what we're seeing, as you said, through COVID in particular, is more people just in general, male and female, taking that leap and starting their own businesses. And because of it, the environment is changing, and we're really looking at things differently. We have to look at things differently. We have no choice. Yeah, and to a very great extent, we've seen business leaders recognizing the need for diversity, especially at the senior levels, because having that diversity enriches the decisions that you make, enriches the knowledge that you have, and changes your focus from a singular point of view to a broader point of view, and and oftentimes makes your business more successful. Yeah, and you can see that very clearly. It's so interesting now that many of us are working from home, and really can't go out right now, right? Due to the pandemic, many of us might be watching more TV than we ever have before, (laughs) right? Running some series and doing some things like that. I mentioned to my husband the other day that while we're watching these commercials, we're seeing that just society in general is really opening its arms to the difference in people and the difference what different family units look like. And we've always known that, right? But it really has never been in the forefront. So it's more important than ever before to be able to represent that, whether it's at our boards, whether it's in our management team and how that's made up in business, or it's our lay people, because that's representative of what is happening right now, and that's really important. I've seen so many more businesses very specifically have diversity initiatives, and I think that's critical, absolutely critical to us moving forward. Terry, you're so spot on with that because... One of the things that, and it's talked about a lot, not only from social inequality and then pay inequality and then creating awareness, is the images that we see every day. And if we just see ourselves every day, then we don't recognize that there are other people that can really provide benefit to our organizations and to ourselves, enrich our lives. And so we need to foster that idea of inclusiveness and openness and creating a broader society. So yeah, you're kind of you're very much spot on with that, Terry. Your insights yeah, are yeah. just wonderful, and I truly appreciate you joining us. I have a couple of wrap-up questions for you, and the first one is: What one word describes who you are? Definitely innovation. Definitely innovation. There's the one word, but the reason I say that is because I'm always leading by and looking at what can we innovate, what are our customers, and in terms of our business, what do our members need, not only for today, but what do they need three years to five years from now. So I'm extremely innovative that way. And then the next thing I'd like to ask you is, what are the lessons or insights you'd like to share with the next generation of entrepreneurs and leaders? Yeah, I mean, we're very lucky, John, that we employ 
many young adults. And I, I just, I love them because they're open, they're usually very flexible, they just want to find out about the world. So that would be, and I remember thinking to myself, gee, I wish I was more like that when I was younger, right? Just in terms of growing up. So the first thing I would say is listen to learn, right? So when you get yourself involved, whether it's you're going to open your own business or you're going to work in an organization to get some experience. Listen to learn, whether that's your customers, whether that's your boss, whoever that is. That's really, really important, and that'll help dictate your strategy. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. And the second thing, which I'm sure we hear over and over again, is whatever you get yourself involved in, make sure it's something that you have a passion for and that you enjoy, because that's the thing that gets you through the tough stuff. Those are great insights, Terry. And and look, I thank you so much for participating in our podcast series. I know our listeners got a lot out of this. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you, John. During this episode, Terry described how a business community, even competitors, can come together to find solutions to common social and economic problems. We learned about the HIALI and its ability to find solutions for affordable housing, workforce training, and advancing infrastructure projects. Such organizations provide a forum to address larger social issues, such as gender inequality, and promote dialogue. As Terry noted, creating equality and opportunity requires a multifaceted approach. And here are some of the key focus points. First is awareness, understanding the size and scope of the issue. Although women represent 50% of the workforce, they are underrepresented in C-suite positions. Awareness must also include understanding our own gender bias and how we decide to promote one person over another. This transcends gender, actually, and includes racial and ethnic discrimination that blocks the way to having a diversified workforce. Next is mentoring. As Terry noted, we need to have more men backing women and women backing women. In her experience, if you want to lead, the advice her mentors provided was, you need to practice the profession of business. Understand profit and loss statements, revenue streams, and how the organization creates value essentially the fundamentals of running a business. Another point discussed was the work-life blend. Historically, we talked about work-life balance as though one was separate from the other. You had to be either a stay-at-home mom or a working professional. This was often used as a reason not to promote women to executive positions. And although business have, over the last several years, started to recognize that you can do both, the pandemic eradicated the notion of either-or and spotlighted that a work-life blend is achievable. Thanks to Terry Alessi Maselli for those insights and for sharing her experience. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Paulina Lamanier for all their support. Until next time.